My name is Annika, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here. I'm so glad that you've joined us this morning, whether you've been a part of this church family for a long time or you're joining us for the first time. Welcome. It's good to have you here. For our online viewers who are unfortunately having to view this just a little past when you normally would, uh, welcome to you as well. We are working hard to get our live streaming system back up. Um, again, there was a number of updates and things that happened this week that delayed that. Um, however, I just want to take a moment and give a huge thank you to Tom Cooper and Leo Audette. Those two men have spent countless hours over the past number of months, but particularly this week, I know that they were here approximately three hours every single evening, um, running new wires, installing different hardware, and uh, I, I can't even imagine where we, we would be today if it weren't for those two men. So thank you, thank you, thank you. If you see them, extend a hand of grace to them as well and thank them because we owe them quite a bit. Before we begin, one other announcement. We are also working to restart our nursery and kids street ministries. We have not been hosting those ministries since the onset of the pandemic. However, we are ready to get back to it. However, we need volunteers. In order to put a complete nursery and Kid Street schedule together, we need approximately 20 volunteers. That puts everybody on a monthly rotation. And at the moment, we have seven. So, we ask you to prayerfully consider whether or not God could be calling you to work with some little ones. Love on some little ones. Love on some families. If God is putting that on your heart, Please talk to Miss Kate. She would love to get you hooked up with that. Let's quiet our hearts before our God. Lord, we thank you that you have called us to worship here this morning, that you meet us here, that we don't have to beg for your presence, that you welcome us with open arms. Lord, help us tune our hearts to you this morning. Let us feel your presence. We love you, Lord. Amen. Would you rise and body your spirit for our call to worship? There is none like you, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and bow down before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wonderful things. You alone are God. Praise the Lord, O my soul. The Lord's name be praised.
worship your holy
God, you are good. You are great. And we are so little. Lord, we praise you that you are God and we are not. That this is your world. And that we get to be in it. Lord, help us to come before you humbly. Help us to recognize your breadth and depth and your love. In your name we pray. Amen. You may take a seat. This morning, as our time of renewal, we're going to spend a little bit of time reading through the words of Our World Belongs to God, one of the testimonies from the CRC. As followers of Jesus Christ, living in this world, which some seek to control and others view with despair, we declare with joy and trust our world belongs to God. From the beginning, through all the crises of our times, until the kingdom fully comes, God keeps covenant forever. Our world belongs to God. God is king, let the earth be glad. Christ is victor, his rule has begun. The spirit is at work, creation is renewed. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. In the beginning of human history, our first parents walked with God. But rather than living by the Creator's word of life, they listened to the serpent's lie and fell into sin. In their rebellion, they tried to be like God. As sinners, Adam and Eve feared the nearness of God and hid all spheres of life family and friendship work and worship school and state play and art bear the wounds of our rebellion sin is present everywhere in pride of race arrogance of nations abuse of the weak and helpless disregard for water air and soil destruction of living creatures slavery murder terror and war Worship of false gods. The mistreatment of our bodies. Our frantic efforts to escape reality. We become victims of our own sin. In all our striving to excuse or save ourselves, we stand condemned before the God of truth. But our world, broken and scarred, still belongs to God who holds, who holds it, it all together, together and, and gives, gives us hope. As a second Adam, Jesus chose a path we had rejected. In his baptism and temptations, teachings and miracles, battles with demons, and friendships with sinners, Jesus lived a full and righteous human life before us. As God's true son, he lovingly obeyed the Father and made present in deed and word the coming rule of God. Being both divine and human, Jesus is the only mediator. He alone paid the debt of our sin. There is no other savior. We are chosen in Christ to become like him 
in every way. God's electing love sustains our hope. God's grace is free to save sinners who offer nothing but their need for mercy. Even now, as history unfolds in ways we only know in part, we are assured that God is present in our world, holding all things in tender embrace and bending them to his purpose. The confidence that the Lord is faithful gives meanings to our days and hope to our years. The future is secure, for our world belongs to God. Would you rise with us as we sing about this grace? My name is Mike. I'm one of the <clears throat> excuse me uh, elders on uh, Pleasant Street here, and it's my privilege to lead us in prayer this morning. Would you pray with me? 
Lord, we thank you that we can come together this morning to worship you here. We thank you that while we can be diverse in our opinions and beliefs, we can be united in our love for you. We thank you for constantly showing your love for us, giving us what we need, and in providing all that you have for us, and ultimately by giving your life for us as the payment that our sins deserve. Lord, as Pastor Matthew reflects this morning on how your early church faced divisions and struggles, and how you ultimately use this for good, remind us that we can also struggle, but ultimately find unity in the things that we share, that we are to love you, and that we are to love others. Lord, be with us as our council and staff as we seek to lead your church into becoming what you want us to be. Give us unity as we struggle through difficult issues, and give us wisdom as we seek to lead your church well. Lord, we thank you for the news of decreasing COVID cases locally. We celebrate the reduction of restrictions, and we look forward to a more normal existence. But while we're thankful for the technology that allows us to worship virtually, we thank you that increasing vaccinations have resulted in more people being able to worship with us here. It's truly a blessing to fellowship with those that we haven't been able to see much in the past year. But while we see improvement here, we recognize that this is not the case in other areas be particularly with those in India and other places that are currently seeing cases surge. Give those in charge the wisdom to make good decisions such that those who are the most vulnerable are protected. Lord, there are many both in our church and in our larger local community that are facing hardships. Continue to be with those that are suffering from the effects or after effects of COVID. Lord, this morning we ask that you be with Cliff, who is in need of a liver transplant. And we ask that you would provide an appropriate donor. We ask that you'd be with Jen as she faces difficult decisions after her hip surgery and subsequent fall. Bless her and heal her hip such that she can return to life as normal. Be with Melissa as she faces an uncertain future after her diagnosis of late stage lung cancer. Give comfort to her, her family and friends as they struggle with this. We ask that you would be with Steve Kate and their family as they cope with the death of Steve's grandfather. We thank you for a life well lived, but losing a loved one is always hard. Give them a special measure of comfort as they celebrate their poppy's life. Continue to be with Sandy and John as they spend lots of time traveling back and forth in New Jersey, helping with move Sandy's mother into a place where she can be cared for. Lord, these transitions can be difficult. Bless them as they help her with this move. Lord, also be with Jake after his recent heart attack. Give him and his doctors wisdom as they seek treatments to help him recover. And Lord, in the, we recognize that in the midst of suffering, there's much to be grateful for as well. We thank you that Stu and Deb can celebrate their 60th wedding anniversary. We thank you for the many years that you've blessed them with and their example of loving devotion to each other. We thank you that Marcia is doing better after her recent brain tumor diagnosis. Continue to be with her and her family as they determine what the next steps are for, are for her. Lord, this morning we ask that you be with Pastor Matthew as he brings us your word. Help us to see what you need us to see, to put into practice what you need us to put into practice. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. All these things we ask in your name. Amen. morning. Today we'll be reading from the book of Acts chapter 15. 
verses 1 through 14, 1 through 18, starting at the Council of Jerusalem. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching to the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp debate and dispute with them. So, Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and through Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who had belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among them, among James, excuse me, had done among the Gentiles through them. There we go. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophet are in agreement with this as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. Brothers, sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, in this Easter season, we remember that it began with Good Friday and that on Good Friday, everything good about you went into the tomb with you and we were in despair. But this Easter season, we remember that the tomb is open and everything about you is more true than we can imagine. We ask that you would open to us the good news that through Jesus, your Son, we who were orphans have become your children. We ask that you would open to us the good news that in Jesus, you have made us all sisters and brothers in Christ. We ask that you would send your Holy Spirit now, O oh God, 
and make the good news of your resurrection spiritually real to our hearts. Open our eyes so that we might see and seeing understand and understanding believe and believing that we might follow in all faithfulness and obedience in the way that you have made for us through your body. Amen. In the last three Sundays, we've gotten just a taste of many of the wonderful stories that you find in the book of Acts. Acts is full of dynamic energy, great stories, because it's about growth. It's very exciting. God is often moving in a powerful way in this book. In Acts 15, the story that we've just read is the centerpiece of the entire story. But Luke tells us the pivot point of the story that we just read today is a big theology conference and a brief letter. I won't hold it against you if you feel a little disappointed. Well, sometimes the things that happen in the Bible do seem rather far away from us, don't they? I mean, it is rather hard to imagine having a giant church meeting for several days, gathering people from all over the world to talk about circumcision. I hope that I am not the only one who finds myself wondering if it's just too far away from us to mean anything. Well, maybe it is interesting history stuff for those who like history, maybe. Not very interesting anyway. But it can be hard to get interested in other people's decisions, especially old ones. Well, usually we think that it's the ones that we make that are the most important. It all seems so far away. And from far away, it can be hard to see what all of the fuss is about anyway. Luke tells us the apostles were a meeting to talk about Gentiles, which means that they're talking about us. Well, if it's a meeting about us, I suppose that could be interesting. Well, what were they saying at this meeting? What was the meeting about? Well, Luke tells us they're meeting to decide whether or not we can be accepted by God without becoming Jewish. Well, they're meeting to answer the question, is the good news of Jesus enough? Well, we had a neighbor once whose name was Mike. Michael lived his life in a motorized power chair, and when the weather was nice, which was admittedly quite often, we would see Michael cruising down the wide neighborhood street, and sometimes he would have a cigar in his prosthetic hand that his caregiver had lit for him, and there he was cruising down the street. Often, he had a book pinned open for him on the table attached to his chair. He liked to read. Well, we would talk sometimes, and Michael knew that I was a pastor, and so one time, out of nowhere, he drives up to me on the side of the road there at the curb. He asked me a question. He said, I was reading the Bible, and I said, oh, really? And he said, yes. I noticed it starts with the Old Testament. Yes, it does. And the Old Testament is what Jews read. Yes, that's right. Hey, well, I was just wondering, does that mean I have to become Jewish to be a Christian? I kid you not, that is literally 
what he asked me. Maybe this story in Acts 15 isn't so far away after all. Well, in fact, now that we are a little bit closer to it, we notice some things that maybe we didn't catch the first time around. Did you notice that everybody seems really tense? Well, who wouldn't be tense if the seminary theologians in Jerusalem showed up in your church on a Sunday and started telling everyone that they had to be circumcised like Abraham and live like Moses? From the way that Luke describes it, it doesn't sound like they were suggesting either. Unless you are circumcised like Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, when people start saying things like unless and cannot, it does tend to raise everyone's pulse. It raises a question in everyone's mind. Is the good news of Jesus enough? Well, that's just the question that they've met to decide. Well, maybe what happens at a church theology conference could be interesting after all. When Paul and Barnabas go, they've been spending the last year or two hanging out with these non-Jewish congregations in Iconium and Lystra and Derby and Antioch, so they go to the conference. Of course, Peter's there and James too, and everyone is greeting each other and telling stories. Peter, how are you? James, good to see you. How's the family? Paul, Barnabas, shalom. How are things in Antioch? Well, you wouldn't believe it, Paul and Barnabas begin. You would not believe the things that we have been seeing God doing up there. Gentiles believing in Yeshua, never heard a word of Hebrew before in their lives. Couldn't tell you the difference between Solomon and the Psalms. But they believe in Yeshua, the Christos, the King the world savior that Caesar can only pretend to be. Wow, amazing. Praise God. But not everyone is impressed. There are some from the Pharisee party who can't wait for the opening devotions to get underway. They want to get right to the point. They stand up. They interrupt the opening chatter. <clears throat> That's wonderful news. The good news of Jesus is spreading. But the reason we're here is because Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Well, there's those words again. Must, required, unless, cannot. Well, they're not saying that circumcision is really important for us as followers of Jesus. They're saying you can't be saved without it. They're saying that the gospel of Jesus means that Gentiles still have to become Jewish. It's hard for us to understand, but this is not about trying to exclude Gentiles. No, Gentiles were always part of the plan. Anyone who read the prophets could tell from a distance that Gentiles were always part of God's plan. This is not about trying to exclude them. Gentiles are coming to faith in Jesus in droves. This is good news, but it's also disturbing because Gentiles are being baptized, not circumcised. In other words, Gentiles are becoming Christians without becoming Jews. The good news of Jesus does not make them Jewish. They stay Gentiles. But for Jews, to be part of the people of God means that you have to show the signs. 
You see, the work of God, the work that God does, even as far back as Genesis, it always has a sign. The people of God look like the people of God. Because God's people are meant to be set apart from the world around them. What else is the point of God choosing some from among the whole of the world? And what set them apart under Moses was circumcision. And it was their cookbook. And it was their dress. And it was their laws. And these were the signs of a changed life. And these are the things that unified them. But if Gentiles remain Gentiles, if the people of God look like everyone else, how will God distinguish his people from the world around them? It does not seem to them like the good news of Jesus is enough. And while that question doesn't seem very far away at all, does it? We recognize it. And we've heard that question Come at us every time someone points out all that is wrong with the world. We named a few of those things ourselves not too long ago. The world is full of chaos and war and death and racism, but you Christians just keep talking about Jesus. How could that possibly be enough? Sometimes we might even find ourselves voicing it too, though. Sometimes when we become impatient for the pace at which the church moves or with our own growth, sometimes when the world looks extra broken from our point of view, we find ourselves saying things like, yes, Jesus, but we also need to tell them they have to reform their lives. They have to know that you got to pray, you got to read, you got to give. We must, we cannot. Well, there are those words again. Is Jesus enough? Sometimes we're not sure either. Craig Barnes, who's the seasoned Presbyterian pastor, once tells a story about a time after church. He was greeting people at the door, and an irritated woman came up to him after worship. Jesus, 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 she said. Is that all you know? There's that question again. Barnes was surprised, and he bobbled his response, but he writes, Had I been thinking clearly at the time, I would have said, It's all that I know that can be of any help to you. Back in Jerusalem, the debate rages on about whether or not Jesus is enough. They debate for a long time. You can imagine the back and forth and back and forth. Circumcision is the sign, some say, God's sign language never changes. God's words never change. Therefore, the gospel is not enough. But, others counter, in the prophets, God said that a day was coming when I would acknowledge the Gentiles as Gentiles. Back and forth, back and forth. But Peter is quiet. Peter is thinking. Peter is sitting in that meeting and he's remembering something. He is remembering something that happened in Acts chapter 10, which we didn't read, Peter is remembering about the time when God sent him to a Gentile's house. His name was Cornelius. And Peter is remembering that he was appalled by the idea of crossing that threshold and sitting at his table and baptizing him. And he remembers that God told him 
to baptize Cornelius. Peter baptized Cornelius and his household. Peter stands and he reminds everyone there about this time that God sent him to Cornelius' house. He says, remember Cornelius? Well, on that day, God picked me for that job, and I was Jewish. And on that day, God also picked Cornelius, and he was not. Over and over again, Peter stresses that it was God behind the scenes that day. Verse 7, God made a choice. Verse 8, God showed that he accepted. Verse 9, God did not discriminate. Peter's realizing that all of this happened because God wanted it to. God chose, but he does not choose the way that we do. God says he is the heart knower. God, who sees all hearts, does not distinguish between my heart or Cornelius's, between us or theirs, between us and them. Do you realize what Peter is saying? He's saying, we are here in this meeting today trying to decide if the gospel is enough, but what I am realizing remembering this story is that circumcision wasn't enough. I thought, we thought that circumcision in Moses' law was the sign of a changed life. But we had that sign for generations, and it didn't change me. For generations, we were circumcised and circumscribed by the law, but it didn't change our hearts. Why would we expect it to change theirs? And all these years later, Peter's gospel realization is for us too. Because Peter is saying, among other things, that nothing we're doing is changing us to be the kind of people who are acceptable to God. Peter thought it was circumcision in the family cookbook. For us, it's more reps in the weight room, or miles on the treadmill, or dollars in our IRS charitable donations, or hours at the tutoring center, or transcendental meditation, or Bible study, or how a few times you've managed to yell at the kids. But none of it makes us any more pleasing to God. None of it can purify our hearts. None of it's enough. What we need is the same thing that Peter needs, that Cornelius needs, that all the peoples of the nations need. And that is a new heart. And heart change is what God does. It is God who cleanses and purifies hearts through Jesus who died not to circumscribe our lives, but to cleanse, to wash our hearts, to wash away our sins. It is through this grace of Jesus that we are saved just like them. And if we are saved through faith, if they are saved through faith, then that means that finally we have a way to stop making distinctions between each other. And so the theology conference ends with a letter, very brief. James 
stands up after Peter and he says, you know what? We shouldn't make it hard for the Gentiles to turn to God. But what he means is that we should not rub our religious practices in the faces of brand new converts who don't know anything about anything. And they write a letter to the Gentiles, but it's also a promise from the Jews. And they tell the Gentiles that you don't have to be circumcised, but you do need to watch what you eat and what you say because that matters to your Jewish brothers and sisters. And the law of Moses is everywhere that you will find a church. And so please be careful. And it's framed as a letter to Gentiles, but really it's a manifesto for the whole church. Because, friends, the gospel means that through faith in Jesus, we get new hearts. And so, we have a new question. No longer, how can you change for me? What is enough change in your life to be acceptable in mine? We do not expect others to become like us when they become Christians. We ask, how can I change to make room for you? The gospel means that we change for each other. Because the good news still results in a sign. But what distinguishes God's community now are hearts washed clean of their need to prove their cleanliness. And what that means is that in this community, the sign of a changed life is not circumcision or Sabbath or food or culture or dress or voting record, or income level, or national citizenship, or any of those things. The sign is loving your enemies. I stumbled upon this wonderful quote by a Bible thinker named uh, D.A. Carson, and he writes this. He says, Ideally, the church itself is not made up of natural friends. It's made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education or race or common income levels or politics or nationality or accents or jobs or anything of the sort. Christians come together because they have been saved by Jesus Christ and owe Him a common allegiance. It's in light of this common allegiance, in light of the fact that they have all been loved by Jesus Himself, that they commit themselves to doing what he says. And what he says is to love one another. And in this light, they are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. I was at a big church meeting a couple of years ago when I heard from a brother named Dave. He told a story. He's the pastor of a small Reformed church in a farming community. Let's call it First Reformed Church in Farming Town. Well, he went on to tell us that the church there had been largely monocultural for most of its life. And it turns out that their community is also largely monocultural. The thing was that they were just not the same monoculture. In other words, if you went into that church for a Sunday lunch, you could expect to find ham buns <laughs> on the table. And if you went into a restaurant in town, you could expect to find fresh pico de gallo. 
Well, now, as it happens, Dave was there, and he would talk a lot about Jesus and the good news of this Messiah who sees our hearts, who forgives us because in our hearts we are dead and lost and hopelessly selfish without him. And wouldn't you know it, but this church began to see the distinction between them and their community differently. They began to ask, how could we connect with them? They didn't know how, and they asked Dave to help them. And it took some time, but eventually a small Spanish-speaking congregation began in the fellowship hall. English praise songs in the sanctuary, Spanish ones in the fellowship hall. Well, everyone was impressed. They had done it. They shared the same building. Except that the Spirit of God was moving. And so they asked Dave, is there more we can do? Could we get closer somehow? And he said, well, why don't we worship together? And they said, yes, let's do that. We will teach them English. And when they are ready, they will join us in the sanctuary. And Dave said, not quite. Well, what do you mean? We will move to the fellowship hall where we will learn Spanish. And when we are ready, we will join them in the sanctuary. And we will sing in Spanish and we will say our prayers in English. On Pentecost? No, every Sunday. Every Sunday? Every Sunday. Well, it's not that they didn't want to include their neighbors, those two groups. You wouldn't call them enemies with each other, but they were just so different from each other that it was unimaginable that they could become one church. A community like that in this world of violence and racism and anger and pain well, if it could happen, it might just be the most interesting and distinctive thing out there. Well, can you imagine a community like that where strangers have become sisters, where people practice reconciliation daily because they constantly misunderstand each other? Well, that really could be the sign of something, couldn't it? But it would require something more than Spanish lessons. It would require new hearts. Which is what Jesus, the heart knower, the heart changer, specializes in for all of us. And I don't know, but last I heard... In that congregation, they still had ham buns on the table. But their Spanish was getting pretty good. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, on Good Friday, everything good about you went into the tomb with you, and we were in despair. This Easter season, we remember that the tomb is open, and everything about you is more true than we can imagine. We ask that you would open to us the reality that through Jesus, your Son, we who were orphans have become your children, that in Jesus, we are all sisters and brothers, and there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. There is no separation that can remove any from fellowship in Christ's community. There is no sin that can separate us from you. We ask that you would send your Holy Spirit now. Send us in that Spirit and make the resurrection spiritually real to our hearts. As we leave, open our eyes so that we might see, and seeing, understand, and understanding, believe, and believing that we might follow in all faithfulness and obedience. 
in the way that you have made for us through your body. Amen. Brothers and sisters, it is only right that we should respond to God together. Would you rise in body and spirit and let's sing Heal Our Land.
as we have been into God's presence, he does so to reveal himself to us, not just abstractly, but, but with the language that we see in the Bible of him turning toward us, looking at us in love and favor. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus has turned his face toward you and he will not change his mind. Will you go out blessed in the presence of God, receive his blessing? Friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Friends, let's go singing. Children singing low. 